0: So uh, but I don't know if Sean, you share that we had three cancer healings in a 10-day period. I don't know if Sean shared that last week. So that is so good. One was uterine cancer, one was cervical cancer, and one was uh, a lady who was either stage three or four with lymph node cancer. And so that's just a great idea. So last week, I spoke at a church in Pennsylvania, and so I did a financial training all weekend. But Saturday night, we did a healing service, and one miracle really stood out. This is really cool. So this lady came forward for prayer. She had a three, three-year-old and a three-week-old. Uh, the three-week-old was named Zion, which I thought was cool. And so, um, but she had, for both uh, pregnancies, she had to have a C-section. And so she had to cut on one side three years ago, cut on another side. So after two C-sections, you're pretty much done having kids. And so, uh, so when she was sharing the testimony, I'll, I'll just, here's how she shared it, was that um, her and her husband, their whole desire is they wanted to have a bunch of kids. In her, her words, they wanted to have a baseball team. And so... Um, I think, is that nine? I didn't, yeah, so yeah, I played soccer, not baseball. Okay, didn't either one well. Anyway, and so um, they want to have a baseball team, but now they weren't uh, weren't able to have any more kids, and so she was grieving over that. So she gets prayer for healing. She doesn't really even know what she's getting prayer for, and when she gets prayer, she goes in an open vision experience where she sees the bright lights, and she's back in the um, emergency room where they were operating to save the baby, to take the baby the last time, and then her whole body goes numb, And then she comes out of it, and she's like, what just happens? She goes into the bathroom, and both the scars disappeared from her body. The one from three years ago and the one from three weeks ago. And so uh, her and her husband are looking forward to having more children. Isn't that just beautiful? It just sounds like something God would do, I'll tell you what. So uh, last time I was here, we talked about a new covenant. It's a completely different kind of covenant. And uh, you can see just from the, uh, you know, I said that the law came through Moses... But uh, Jesus was full of grace and truth. And so you see when the law came, the first miracle that Moses did was he turned water into blood and it led to thousands of, uh, you know, it led to death. First miracle that Jesus did, he turned water into wine and it led to life and, uh, and rejoicing and joy. And so we, we compared and contrasted the different kinds of covenant. And we saw the thing that makes the whole new covenant, remember the old covenant, thou shalt, thou shalt not, thou shalt, thou shalt not. The new covenant, God says, I will do this. I will do this. I will put my laws in your heart. I will give you a a heart of flesh. I will um, move you to follow my decrees. And the thing that makes the whole thing work is it says, and I will remember your sins and lawless deeds no more. This is really a powerful thing. For God to remember your sins would mean he'd have to forget about what Jesus did. To the level that you understand you're forgiven is to the level that you'll be able to love God. For he who is forgiven much, loves much. Okay, so we're going to go after that today, uh, just at another level. And, um, but I don't want to redo the whole, uh, the whole thing, but let's just put it this way. Religion wants you sin conscious. Jesus wants you sun conscious. Okay. And so here's what I want to do. I want to start off with a a classic video. I like to play this video at least every year or every two years. It just warms my heart. I feel like it's a Zion classic. If so, we could get that up there. And I think this is going to help us and make sure we got the volume nice and loud. I cannot reenact this video, so we're going to need the video.
1: <laughs> Here we go: Well, all right. Now it's time for me to tell you all what you've done wrong since I last saw you. And don't try and hide, because I'm Jesus. I will find you. Let's start with you, Peter. You lied to your mother the other day. Andrew, you said a naughty word when you hit your finger with the hammer. James, you laughed at him when he hit his finger. (laughs) Moving right along, John, you drank too much wine the other night. Not way too much, just enough to make me angry. Matthew, we fell asleep in church, didn't we? Yes, we did. And Thomas, you were slow dancing a little too close with that girlfriend of yours. And you, I forgot your name, so you're off the hook for now. Um, Phillip, I saw you smoking a cigarette behind that big rock the other day. Thaddeus, I hate to say I saw you stick up your middle finger at someone who cut you off when you were riding your camel. Benjamin, you aren't wearing your WWJD bracelet. Jacob, I don't mind you saying my name, but not after you stub your toe. Frank, you know what you did. I just can't repeat it because I'm Jesus. All right, all you sinners, come with me. It's time to pay the piper. (laughs) (laughs) There's only one cigarette. I heard that. Look at all these sinners. All right, listen up, listen to me, I'm Jesus. Listen to what I have to say. I have done many wonderful things. I have healed many people of diseases. I have performed many miracles so that I can tell you this. You're all evil. There is no hope. That's it. Thank you.
0: Let's close in prayer. I'm going to begin by dropping a bomb on you guys. Ready for this? Sin is no longer an issue with God because we've been redeemed. I know some of you are already getting nervous and you're like, what about this? What about that? Well, I have anticipated most of your questions, and I will build this sermon around your questions, but not before I give you the truth. With that statement, you're either rejoicing shocked, confused, or maybe even a little angry. Sin is no longer an issue with God, for we've been redeemed. The message that most people hear is sin breaks your relationship with God, whether you're saved or unsaved. And then when you confess it, it restores the relationship with God. And so um, some people call this eternal security. That you know, your salvation's secure, but when you sin, uh, you know, you lose that relationship with God, you lose that freshness, God can't use you, your prayers aren't answered, but you're still gonna go to heaven, but your relationship with God just kind of stinks. That's called eternal security. Um, I was raised in eternal insecurity, which says that uh, you know, when you sin, then you're backslidden, and then God, again, God's not gonna hear your prayers, He can't answer you, and uh, until you confess it, then you're, you know, then you are just. You know, he's just about had enough of you. You know, his anger is storing up, and you better hope that you repent before his anger hits level 10, because when it hits level 10, it's just, it's just over. It's going to be bad. And so we had altar calls every week, and uh, they weren't necessarily for salvation. They were re- to rededicate our lives. So kind of to get born again, again, and again. And again. And I think I rededicated my life so many times as a child that my rededicator actually broke. I got very concerned. I'm like, Oh no, what am I going to do now? I've done it so many times. Anyone here relate to any either one of these things? God's angry. He's distant, and if you're uh, if you're not if you're not acting on your best behavior, then uh, the boom, the it's time to pay the piper. And so um, I've got some. Uh, you know, that message is not good news. You know why? Because all of us sin. Listen, I am not promoting sin here. just stick with me here a little bit. Here's First 1 John 1:8. 1, if we boast that we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and are strangers to the truth. So guys, if, uh, if sin separates us from our relationship with God, we's all in trouble. Because now it's not up to what Jesus did on the cross, it's up to how good we do after the cross. And that's just the New old covenant. That's not good news. So what do many Christians do? Well, I remember in high school, I had a real sensitive conscience to the Lord. And, uh, and so I was continually aware of my sin. And I was told that the closer you get to God, the more aware of your sin you are. Has anyone else been told these things? And so, so I just thought that my sin consciousness was just a sign of my holiness. <laughs> and so I was continually worried. Like, what if I have a dirty thought? What if I exaggerate the truth? What if I do something and then I get hit by a car then then what am I going to do? Like, am I going to go to hell? There was eternal insecurity in this thing. Can anyone else relate to this? Uh, So, so many Christians, they uh, try to cope by keeping every sin confessed. And so we're constantly aware of our sin, which is a recipe for depression. Listen to Romans 14.23. I'm I'm just going to put it bluntly. It's impossible for you to confess every sin. I'm about to prove it to you. Romans 14.23 for anything we do that doesn't spring from faith is, by definition, sinful. <laughs> Did you sit down in faith? Did you, I mean, like, everything that you're doing, like, if you're not doing in faith, sin, confess, I mean, you're just going to be in nonstop confession mode. I'm not trying to make light of this. I'm trying to bust the thing right open because there's some good news behind this thing. Um, James 4:17. so if you know of an opportunity to do the right thing today, yet you refrain from doing it, you're guilty of sin, Gang, anything you're not doing in faith is sin. Anything that you're doing that's not continually love for God, love for people is sin. <laughs> so now you got that going for you. This verse, uh, sin is not only the things we do wrong, but it's not doing what we know is right. So would anyone, I, I don't, don't raise your hand on this, but is there anyone who's going to claim everything I do is nonstop in faith and continually loving for God, loving people, nonstop, perfect? Well, then you don't even need Jesus. And so you might need to find a different church here. Even if it were possible for us to continually confess sins, it puts the burden of salvation on us and not on Jesus. There wouldn't be peace or any rest in the relation with God because now it's all up to us. It's like a giant do-over. God's like, okay, I forgive you. Now perform. Back to the old covenant. That's what they did. Sacrifices for sin, sins were covered, now perform. Up more sin, back sacrifices for sin, and many people are living under the old covenant again. We've been forgiven, and now I blow it, now I've got to go back and grovel. There's been a separation. Guys, sin does not separate you from God once you're a believer. Sin does not change the way God feels about you, it changes the way you feel about God. It hardens your heart, it deceives you, it it defiles your conscience, it makes you sin-conscious. I know some of you are getting nervous. That just means you're listening. Guys, there's some good news coming here. Most people, including Christians, see the forgiveness of sins as something that God can do and continues to do, but not something that He has already completed. Let me just drop the bottom line to you God has already forgiven all the sins of all of humanity that will ever be committed. He has already said, You are forgiven. The only thing that's up for us to do is to believe it and receive it. If you do not understand that God has already said yes to forgiveness, past, present, and future, you're going to be caught in this trap of continually trying to confess your sins to be pleasing to God because you know you're not. So the New Testament presents the forgiveness of sins as something that is already accomplished. And the effect of that is God does not even want us conscious of sin. He wants us conscious of his son. I remember uh, there was a a leader in a church one time. I was in an environment, and he began talking about how God beats him and chastises him and scourges him for his sin. And it was was being presented like it was a good thing, like, like, look at how holy I am. I'm so aware of my sin. And I said, "Uh, bro, that's not God. That's the devil. But no one likes being told that what they think was God was a devil. I could have been more tactful. And uh, he began to yell at me, and I said, you're under the old covenant. That's that, not the new covenant. He began to yell at me even more and call me names in front of people. The religious spirit's an ugly thing. It's the one that crucified Jesus. I know some of you are nervous right now. Let me just give you some verses here. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. The old system of living under the law presented us with only a faint shadow, a crude outline of reality of the wonderful blessings to come even with its steady stream of sacrifices offered, continually confessing sin, sin, year after year, there was still nothing that could make our hearts perfect before God. That's the old covenant. There's nothing that can make your heart perfect before God. But, for uh, for if animal sacrifices could be offered once for all to eliminate sin, they would have ceased to be offered, and the worshipers would have clean consciences. If there was something that could be offered once for all, what would be the result? A clean conscience before God. Let me ask you, what produced the forgiveness of sins in your life and when did it happen? What produced the forgiveness of sins? Was it the moment you said, God, forgive me? Is that when forgiveness happened? Jesus was the Lamb of God that took away the sins of the entire world. John 1, 29. Uh, Ephesians 1.7, Colossians 1.14 says, it was through the shedding of Jesus' blood that you receive redemption, the forgiveness of sins. When did Jesus shed his blood for the forgiveness of your sins? Roughly 2,000 years ago. The Bible says he will never die again. God's not up there going, oh man, I didn't know Baker was gonna do that. I need to shed more blood. Oh no, he did another sin, more blood. He shed it once for all. It is completely done. Forgiveness was pronounced over mankind. So there's no need to keep going back and and be sin conscious and sin conscious. I know some of you are thinking, well, well, we're going to get there. Hebrews 9. How many of you guys are okay here? How how many of you are okay by faith by the time we're under this message? Okay. Hebrews 9.25. Under the old system, year after year, the priest entered the most holy sanctuary with blood that was not his own. But the Messiah did not need to repeatedly offer himself year after year, for that would mean he must suffer repeatedly ever since the fall of the world. But now he has appeared at the fulfillment of the ages to abolish sin once and for all by the sacrifice of himself. Verse 27. Every human being is appointed to die once and then face God's judgment. But when we die, we will be face to face with Christ. The one who experienced death once for all to bear the sins of many. And now those who eagerly await him, he will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to bring us the fullness of salvation. Jesus paid for the sins of the whole world once at one time. He does not see your sin again and go, oh no, we need to offer another sacrifice. That was the old covenant. There was one sacrifice that covered every sin, past, present, and future. So I want you to imagine a little kid who's got a, a diamond the size of a fist. So this thing is very valuable. And the kid loves it. He's playing with it every day. But every day he plays with it, it gets dirty. So he's got to take it, and he goes back under this waterfall and washes it off. And then he takes it, and uh, he plays with it. He enjoys it, but then it gets dirty again. And he takes it back under this waterfall. And he just he feels like he can't even enjoy it because it still gets dirty. And so one day he um, recognizes that there was these two rocks and that this diamond fit perfectly in it. And it stayed continually under this waterfall, and it stayed continually clean. The old covenant, it kept getting dirty, and we had to keep coming back and getting clean. Under the new covenant, we stand under a waterfall of forgiveness, being continually cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Boy, what would that do to your life if you walked around continually cleansed? Walked around not feeling there's separation from God because you're not perfect. Sin changes the way you feel about God. It does not change the way God feels about you. The waterfall of forgiveness, if you're a believer, continues to flow over your life. But sin will deceive you into thinking that God's distant. He's mad. He's angry. It's almost like uh, sin deceives us, and we think that there's an umbrella over us, and now the waterfall is not getting on us. And only when we confess and really mean it that the umbrella comes down, then we can experience, God, that's a, that's a lie. There is no umbrella. Get this point. Jesus' sacrifice for our sins is already an accomplished work. It's not based on what you do. We don't have to ask Jesus to forgive our sins. He's already done it. Well, Jim, what about confess our sins? We'll get to that in a moment, but that is something completely different. Heaven doesn't have an accounting department nagging every single detail of everything that you've done wrong, holding it against you until you ask for forgiveness. Then it wipes it out and gets its pen ready for the next thing. The books have been burned, they gathered together the ashes, and they burn the ashes, and he says, everything's been paid for, now come join the dance of Trinity, we're delighting over you. Paul didn't tell the Philippian jailer to ask Jesus to forgive him. Paul said, believe in what Jesus had already done and he would be saved. We confess the Lord Jesus, not our sins, to receive the gift of salvation. Romans 10.9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God is raised from the dead, you will be saved. Well, Jim, if he paid for the sins of the whole world, does that mean the whole world is saved? No, certainly not. It says you are saved by grace through faith, okay? So here's, here's the by grace part, uh, 1 John 2.2. 2. Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. That was grace. Jesus already said, I'm going to come and die for the sins of the entire planet. But we have to believe it in order to receive it. That's how the Bible talks about it. Now, to as many as believed him, he gave them the right to be called the children of God. It's a big yes over everyone. It's almost like, have you ever heard someone say that they found God? I mean, I, I get what they're saying. I mean, that's, that's cute. But it, it's kind of like someone running away, from, you know, running through the woods, trying to run away from somebody. They're tripping and stumbling, doing everything they can to get away from them. And all of a sudden, uh, God stands in front of them and they fall and they say, I found you. It's like, you, weren't, you didn't find God. You weren't looking for him. It says, none seeks God. It's God who's seeking after you. You have to understand, salvation was his idea. It says, God was in Christ Jesus reconciling the world to himself. I think a lot of people get this picture like God's up there and he's just ticked. Man, he is so mad at him. This is sin. You know, he just, he's just naming off the sins. And then Jesus comes along in the scene and says, Father, we've got to do something to, to restore our relationship with these people. The father's like, I don't know about this. You know, this sin thing is just really bugging me. And then uh, Jesus, so Jesus dies on the cross. And uh, now God still wants to be angry, but Jesus is saying, No, Father, you can't do it. Remember the cross. Oh, shucks, son. I guess you're right. So many people picture this angry father, but Jesus is holding back the wrath of God, but it's, it's a close match. But Jesus is winning at this time. Guys, salvation was God's idea. <laughs> it was his idea to go and send his most precious gift to pay for this thing. God was in Christ Jesus, reconciling the entire world to himself. It's not one, it's not any, it's not, the multitude of sins that send somebody to hell, it's one sin. It's not believing in Jesus. That is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, is to continually re- resist Jesus and trust in your own works. Remember the context of that passage. What were the, uh, remember the, the uh, Pharisees are like, Jesus has a demon. And what did they do? They, uh, they were continually resisting Jesus as Messiah and trusting in their own works instead. That's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. It is one sin that is not forgivable as the only sin that will send somebody to hell, not the multitude of their sins. John 16, verses 8 and 9. You guys all right? John 16, verses 8 and 9. And when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me. The singular sin that the Holy Spirit will convict you of is not believing in Jesus. This is not to say he won't correct us, and train us in things that we're going astray. But the root of that whole thing is he's going to bring you back to trusting in a loving relationship with Jesus. The root of every sin is you trusting in yourself and not trusting in Jesus. I'm going to do it in my strength and not in your strength. And that's the sin, that, that, that's the thing he will convince you of behind everything that he's bringing you back into. The Holy Spirit isn't nailing us every time we sin. He's loving us back into faith and trust in Jesus. That's the whole issue with God. Well, Jim, isn't this just all semantics? What does it, difference does it make if forgiveness is something that's already been accomplished or if it's accomplished when we forgive it? Guys, it's a huge difference. It's the difference between security and peace and continual condemnation and not feeling good enough. Well, Jim, if people think that just, forgiveness is just so free like this, they'll just continue to go on sinning. I have yet to meet one of these people who just is like, oh, my gosh, Jesus. This. Listen, there was a story of a woman who uh, was caught in the middle of adultery. And Jesus said, uh, He said, Women, where's your accusers? Then neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. She had to experience grace before she was empowered to go and sin no more. Guys, the only thing that's going to get people out of sin is them encountering the goodness of God. And to the level that they receive the forgiveness of God is the level that they'll be able to walk holy. You don't shovel darkness out of a room so the light can come on. You turn on the light and darkness will leave. If you walk in the Spirit, then you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. The only way to walk in the Spirit is to walk in a revelation of His goodness and His love. Our sins are already forgiven. And not just the ones that we committed before we were born again, the ones that you're committing today and the ones you're going to commit in the future. Some of you are thinking, how can God forgive our sins before we commit them? You better pray He can do that. Because Jesus only died for sins once, 2,000 years ago. And so if his death 2,000 years ago didn't cover your sins in the future, we's in trouble. I'm just letting it sink in. I'm really not all that thirsty. If he can't forgive your sins before you commit them, then you can't be saved. Here's what it says in Hebrews 10, verses 10 through 12, and also verse 14. By God's will, we have been purified and made holy once and for all through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus the Messiah. How many times are you made holy? Once and for all. That's it, that's the only time that it happened. Yet every day, priests still serve, ritually offering the same sacrifices again and again. Sacrifices that can never take away sin's guilt. How many of us know that? When it was up to us to confess it, it never took away the guilt. We were continually reminded of our sins. Old Covenant. It was actually the point of the Old Covenant. We'll let you know, you can't do it. You need a Savior. Oh, thank you, Jesus. This thing was killing me. Verse 12, but when the priest had offered, uh, uh, when this priest, speaking of Jesus, had offered the one supreme sacrifice for sin for all time, he sat down at the throne of God's right hand. Verse 14, and by his one perfect sacrifice, he made us perfectly holy and complete for all time. Gang, put your shouting shoes on. We have received eternal redemption, not momentary redemption. I'm clean for a little bit, now I sin, now I'm unclean. Guys, okay, you know how people complain, you know, oh, if you receive this message of grace too much, then you're just going to be able a license to sin. Well, people have been sinning without a license for years. But I'll tell you who I have met. I have met the person who's been put under the bondage of religion and has tried and tried and tried and has been so discouraged they leave church and turn their back on God. Oh, I've met that person in droves. I was that person. How can we read these scriptures and come to any other conclusion other than the fact that every sin, past, present, and future, was forgiven and our redemption is eternal? (laughs) Well, Jim, are you saying that sin doesn't matter? No, sin is stupid. Theologically, it's stupid. It gives an inroad of Satan into your life. And, uh, you know, Romans 4 or Hebrews 4 talks about how it hardens your sin, it deceives you, it can make you turn your back on God. It's a terrible idea, okay? But it doesn't change the way God feels about you. The only way out of sin is to know that you are completely forgiven. That is what destroys the power of sin in your life. You know, if you want to be a pastor... And have a church full of sin. I'm going to give you a recipe for how to do that. Preach against sin all the time. That's giving people law. That's going to get them to try in their own efforts to do better. I'm going to double my efforts. God, I promise this time it's going to be different. If you're ever hearing something that's encouraging, you need to try harder. No, no, you need to surrender more and let his life flow through you. And you'll do way more on accident than you ever could on purpose. It's not about me trying, it's about me seeing what he did. And when I see what he did, that's when the transformation comes. I didn't write this verse down, it's in 1 Peter 1. But it, it, does, it says this crazy thing, Hey, add to your life godliness and kindness. And, and it names all these things that you're to add to your life. And, uh, and you're thinking, oh man, this, this looks like a long list." And It says, people who don't do this have forgotten that their sins were forgiven. How are you going to add all these qualities to your life? By remembering my sins are forgiven. By being sun conscious. And when I do, I'm changed into the image of the thing that I behold. When I behold him, I become like him. When I become sin, I become like sin. Guys, the only way out of sin is to receive grace. To understand his love and forgiveness. And when I see that, it's like, oh, it melts my heart and it changes me. Guilt, shame, condemnation. Not helpful in case you haven't noticed. Jesus said that those who are forgiven much will love him much. Those who are forgiven little, actually those people don't exist. There's no one who's been forgiven little, but there's those who only think that they've been forgiven little because they don't think that they're that bad. Those who think they've been forgiven little will love him only a little. Do you remember the woman who took an alabaster box and a flask of oil and she broke it over Jesus' feet in Luke 7? Jesus said, uh, so here's Jesus' response. He went into a Pharisee's house. This, This woman comes, throws herself down. She's crying over Jesus' feet. She's so thankful for forgiveness. She's worshiping him. Here's what Jesus said to Simon, who was a Pharisee. I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little." The more you realize that you've been forgiven much, which is actually all of your sins. You guys realize you've been forgiven much. All of your sins, past, present, or future. To the level of revelation that you have that is to the level that you're able to love. Let me put it this way. Imagine that you're married to a spouse who's, okay, maybe I shouldn't do this. Imagine you've got a boss who is nitpicky. Every little thing that you do is not good enough and you double your efforts and you try the best and you stumble in just one area and he just tells everyone about that one area. Guys, that is the old covenant law. Now, if someone is continually telling you what's wrong with you and you've got to do this and you've got to do better, how close and intimate are you going to feel to that person who's got a gun to your head nonstop? Take away the gun and you've got somebody who just continually sees the good in you. Even when you screw up, you know I know who you are. I see the beginning. I love this picture Brian Simmons gives. He said God puts a giant crown in your head and delights to watch you grow up into it. You know it's interesting. Uh, we will we'll probably do a session on sin, but uh, we, here's here's how God does it. it says He prunes you with His words. Jesus says, "Look at the words I've spoken to you. You're already clean." It's the word pruned there, and so He it says the Holy Spirit uh, convicts the world of sin. Because they uh, do not believe. And he's trying to convince you of your righteousness. Because I've gone to the Father. (laughs) The way that he changes you is by reminding you of who you really are. Reminding you of you. And listen, for God to remember your sins, he would have to forget what Jesus did. He remembers your sins no more because he remembered them in the body of his dear son. So when you're coming into his presence, he's not like, I know what you did last summer. We're going to see who's been naughty or nice. Time to pay the piper. He's saying, I already remembered your sins in the body of my son, and I remember what he did, and so I'm looking at you as clean, completely made right with me. You're like, but Jim, but I, I, don't, I don't feel that way. That's called a sin conscious. Become son conscious. Receive the benefits of it, and that's how you get changed. Oh, God, look how good you are. I'm so thankful that I'm clean before you. And when you recognize who you are before him, you become that person. The only reason people don't love Jesus much is that they don't understand just how much they've been forgiven. They've been forgiven all. All right, what about 1 John 1.9? 1, Doesn't tell us to confess our sins. Some are like, that. that's what I've been waiting for this whole time. Well, I've been waiting for you too, all right? I'm glad you brought it up. Here's what 1 John 1, 1.9 says. If we, hey, remember, 1 John 1.8 we just read. He says, if you say you've got no sin, you're, you're deceiving yourselves, Okay. First John one nine. if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We don't have to confess sin in order to be saved or to retain salvation or to maintain our salvation. We need to confess it not for the purpose of becoming born again, but because our, sin get, our flesh gets defiled. Confession of sin is for me, it's not for God. Here's what confess means. Confess means to say the same thing as. It's actually an accounting term. Here, here's a word picture of it. Is um is uh let's let's say your elevator's going to level four, and when it gets to level four, it's confessed it. It's the same thing as. It's an accounting term, it's when it's reconciled. It's what's what says in the books and what says in the receipts when, when, when they're reconciled. So in confessing of sin um is recognizing Jesus already paid for this. I thank you, Lord, for this thing. I'm saying the same thing as God, this was wrong. I'm sorry. It's, it's, it's defiled me. In, uh, in, but Lord, I thank you for that forgiveness of sins. Here, here's, a, here's a picture in Acts 3 that says that, Repent, that times of refreshing from the Lord may come. When my kids uh, blow it, which doesn't happen very often, so maybe years ago when they were little. You know, now they're pretty much perfect. <clears throat> and so um, they really are. They're wonderful kids. But let's say they blow it and they do something that really hurts my heart. I am not waiting there with wrath stored up waiting for them to come and grovel at my knees before I release forgiveness. Um, I've already forgiven them in their heart. I I, I love these guys no matter what. And so when they they come and confess their sin or they repent, whatever you want to look at it, they're able to experience the forgiveness and the love that was already there. When we confess our sins, we get to experience the hug of God that was always in his heart. And now I can become sun-conscious again. I recognize, God, uh, you know, the enemy is trying to contaminate your conscience and get you condemned, and feeling that it's far. But I'm going to confess it and recognize that's not true. I'm eternally redeemed, forgiven, past, present, and future. And when I confess that, I'm now having it in my experience, in my flesh, what was already in my spirit. The father in the story with the prodigal son, he already forgave his son. That's why he was looking for him on the horizon. When he saw him and ran to him and gave him a bear hug. If you're, if you're born again and you're still asking questions like this Can I lose my salvation? If I die with unconfessed sins, will I go to heaven? What if I've confi- uh, committed the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? Does God still answer the prayers of someone who still sins? If you're asking those kind of questions, you do not understand redemption. And I've got super good news for you. You are eternally redeemed. Past, present, future, you're in. You've been made a friend of God and he isn't fickle. There's an expression in the Old Testament that I love in Isaiah 40. The Lord says, he says this to sinful Israel, I will give you the double for all your sin. It sounds like you're about to get a double whammy or a double beating. Okay, Um, There's a custom, it has just about no uh, parallel in our culture today. Here is the custom, is if you had come to the end of your rope financially, you had a list of debts that you could not pay. Just before you had to sell yourself into slavery to go towards paying those debts, you could, uh, you could take some sheepskin and you would begin to list all of your debts, every single debt of a person on there. And you would take that sheepskin, you would go nail it to the gate of the city, hoping that someone with, uh, with, that was wealthy, that had compassion, would come by there. And if somebody came by there and they saw those debts, they would fold it over double, they would, uh, they would nail it back, and they would write paid in full and write their name. And anyone's name who was on that list could go to this person and receive payment. And here's what God's saying. He's saying uh, to sinful Israel, and he's saying to us, I'm going to give you the double. Anyone who uh, has a problem, who's got a sin, you know, if the enemy, the accuser, has a sin problem, he can come see me. Uh, I, I'll take care of all these sins. All of my indebtedness to God was to him in the first place. I owed him a debt I could not owe. But now you owe nothing. The books are closed. The accounting department of heaven has been shut down. Not because of a government shutdown, because he decided it's no longer needed. Remember the story of the prodigal son? I'm going to close with this picture here. Uh, Remember, he came home to get a job. He didn't come home to be restored. He he thought, man, that that bridge is burned. And so uh, he's he's kind of preparing this little speech. He's like, you know, I'm eating with the pigs. You know, I mean, at least my father's hired servants. They get two squares a day during the season. So Luke 15, he says, I will arise and go to my father. And I will say to them, he gets his little speech ready. Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. The religious people who are hearing Jesus tell the story. It's like, yeah, yeah, he, he sure did. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. The servant didn't live on the property. Hired servant was there day by day, you know, at the, at the, you know serving at the pleasure of the master there. And so the son came there to get temporary employment, probably in the spring and in the, in the fall for the planting and the harvest. He helped maybe to live off property. I can never be in my father's house, but maybe I could at least work for him and get on his good side, and maybe he'll take care of me a little bit. Uh, he said, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. In other words, I've taken the family name. I've dragged it to the bottom of the barrel. I'm not worthy to be called your son, but I'm asking for a little bit of charity. Can I just work for you a little bit? So he's got this little speech prepared when his dad uh, to give his dad when he comes home. And Jesus is telling us this story because he says, I want you to see what the heart of the father is. Verse 20, and he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Uh, it's interesting, if, uh, if you look in the uh, margin of your New King James, it says, smothered him with kisses. I love the King James, it says he fell on his neck, which is a King James way of saying he got a big bear hug from dad. I mean, this kid has done nothing but trouble and dragged the family name down and bring shame. And dad says, could that be the silhouette of my boy? I've been waiting for him. The kid hadn't done anything good, hadn't repented. Dad runs to him, embraces him, and kisses him. The son begins to give his prepared speech. You can see him. He's fumbling for his little note there. His speech is stuttering in verse 21. And the son said, Father, I've I, I sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. The father shuts him up in the middle of the speech and says, But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Isn't it interesting that the dad didn't have the son go into the house to change? He had them bring a change of clothes outside the house. You know why that is? It's because he didn't want anyone in the household to remember his son in that condition. He wanted them to look like his dad when they saw him. Put a ring on his hand. Uh, the ring was the American Express card. Son, you've already blown part of your inheritance. Here's the rest. Was the ring was the way that they paid for things back in the ancient Near East. And put shoes on his feet. Uh, Uh, The slaves of the day didn't have shoes. He was restoring him to sonship right there. And bring the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. The boy came home ready to confess all of his sins, ready to bring up all the books. Guys, confessing your sin is not remembering that you lied back in 2002. Confessing your sins is, first of all, you believe in Jesus, that your sins are forgiven. And then when your conscience is polluted, maybe the Holy Spirit brings something up to your mind uh, where, where you weren't trusting in Jesus, you go back to him. Yes, Lord, I receive it all over again. And you're not forgiven at that moment. You're just experiencing those times of refreshing. The thing that's, uh, you know, it gets Satan off your back and it, uh, it takes the forgiveness that's in your spirit and brings it in your experience. Oh yeah. And you become sun conscious again and you're back on the right track. And he hugged his son and kissed him all over because the Father is not counting sins against you. I'm just going to remind you one more time of the last clause of the new covenant. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. I'd encourage you guys to remember this. this is uh, To memorize that verse. He, uh, for I will forgive their wickedness and I will, re- just remember this part, I will remember their sins no more because he already remembered them in the body of his son. So here's what I want to do. I I want to speak to marriages here for a second. Heaven does not have an accounting department of every right or wrong, but some marriages do. And there's no nudging, there's no finger pointing, there's no any of this thing right now. But um, right now, some of you need to burn those books. It is going to be really hard for your spouse to have a revelation of your love when they're being continually reminded of your sins, of their sins. When there's a gun at their head, it's really hard for them to feel close to you, just like it does with God. And so, um, you're like, hold on, but, you know, listen, forgiving someone is not saying what you did is okay. Okay, sirrah, surah, whatever will be, will be. It's not saying what you did is okay. But it's saying, welcome to unconditional love. Unconditional love means I'm going to love you regardless of the conditions that you're in. doesn't mean you have to be a doormat. doesn't mean you take a punch. doesn't mean that you be emotionally abused. I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about there's a heart in there that even when this person's at their worst, it's just supernatural love. This isn't like, guys, I want you to try hard in your marriage. No, I want you to surrender and say, God, I can't do this, but you can do it through me. That's the new covenant. I will move you to follow. So when you begin to feel... And let's say you're at work, you're with the kids, you're with a friend, whatever it is, and you begin to feel that as emotions are rising, like someone's getting under your skin, they are pushing your buttons, okay? Those, those negative emotions of anxiety, anger, fear, all those things, they're an alarm clock saying, I'm doing this in my own strength, I need to do it in his strength. Okay, the palpitating heart, the dry mouth, the, the ears turning red, whatever it looks like for you. As you just begin to feel it welling up, that's your, that's your cue to go, God, I can't do this, but you can. Remember, it's when you're weak, that's when you're strong. When you recognize, God, I can't do this. And there's like a a switch that gets turned on. I remember we were uh, interviewing for churches. It was when uh, we interviewed for three churches in one week, and one of them was Zion. But this other one we were interviewing at, and uh, they they had 15 people, and they're asking us questions. And this one guy was acting like he was trying to trap me in a lie. It was really weird. And uh, all of a sudden, he goes off on me. And... um, and the rest of the room, no one's stepping in. Like he's yelling at me and like accusing me of lying or, so, or something, or like some date or something it was just really weird. And, um, and I remember thinking, God, I got nothing for this. You know, my own strength, I'm gonna be sarcastic and cut this guy to shreds. And so, probably not helpful at any time, let alone a job interview as a pastor. That was a free tip for some of you right there. And so he's yelling at me, emotions are rising. And I don't know how else to describe it, but it's like I turn my head. And I said, God, I can't do it. And I breathed in a fresh air of grace. Like, I've got, I got nothing, but I know you've got something. And I don't remember what I said, but, like, the words that came out of my mouth were dripping with grace. It was like the Holy Spirit just calmed the whole room. And afterwards, they're like, you know, Jim, we are so sorry we didn't jump in and protect you. This guy is he's a hothead, you know, and all this stuff. And, um, but, man, the way that you, you turned the room, guys, I'm not good enough to do that. You're not good enough to love a person who's being unlovely to you. Okay, it's a supernatural love. But I feel like some marriages today, you need, you need this. You need to burn the books and love this person and stop reminding them of their sins. And uh, don't think about your partner needs to do this. You need to do it. Okay? If you're trying to make your partner do it, that's called manipulation. So just die to that. They already have a Holy Spirit. You're not as good. Okay? Here's a second word for marriages is... You have no more ministry to Christ's bride than you do your own. Everyone in here has a ministry. It's called your job. It's called your family. Okay, So it's not just people in the church world that have a ministry. And so if you are excelling in your job, in your business, in your ministry, at the expense of your marriage, and you're just amazed at the open doors God's giving you a favor, God is not opening those doors or giving you favor because he's not trying to empower you to destroy your marriage. Boy, just things are just exploding. It's going so well. It's not God. (laughs) He's not opening doors for you to leave your spouse behind. All right. How are we doing? (laughs) Yeah, well. So here's how I'd like to close this thing is. if you are here today and uh, just the good news of Jesus Christ is coming alive to you, that he, is re- he, he has already forgiven you, and you're like, I want in on that. I want to receive that forgiveness. I believe that what he did was enough. I'm tired of trusting I'm trying to be good enough, trying to get sprinkled with water, trying to do all these. I'm not trusting in that. I'm trusting in Jesus today. I want to want- be